0: If you think about it and you would be so pleased to do so, pray for a number of our ladies who are on the retreat this weekend. Uh, they'll be returning this afternoon, but uh, they are just taking the weekend off to uh, be uh, taught and uh, to fellowship together, so uh, just remember them in prayer. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, or you can have your iPad or whatever you got in front of you, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 1. My series of sermons that I'm beginning this morning, uh, you might go, I'm not a counselor, so why am I here? Why do I want to listen to this? Why should I listen to this? I'm going to tell you there are a number of things, at least three reasons why this is important. Number one, everything we talk about, you can take and personally apply it to your life. And that's good. Number two, you can help someone else. You don't have to be a counselor, but counseling is different than simply listening to somebody else's story and uh, their heartbreak and uh, their problems. Counseling goes way further than that, and maybe God does ultimately call you to have as part of your ministry, or he may have gifted you in this area. And this may be something that's encouraging to you uh, to pursue that in an additional manner. But the overall set of sermons is so that you can help yourself and so you can help other people. Not in a professional way. I am not a professional counselor. I'm a pastor who does counseling, and I do. I believe God has given me some abilities in that direction and maybe some gifts in that direction. But most of you won't ever do that. But I'll guarantee you, all of you know somebody right this moment who's going through tough times in their life. And you have an opportunity to speak into their lives and to help them change your life. This morning, we're going to look at some basics. In fact, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, because it sets the stage for everything else we're going to do. But before we get there... Let me give you uh, a couple of other verses <clears throat> that we will look at in the future. Deuteronomy chapter 30 uh, is a passage in the Old Testament that makes it very clear that choices are the bottom line if we're going to live a life that's pleasing to God and uh, is one worth living and one that benefits other people. It says there, I've set before you uh, prosperity and adversity, blessing and a curse. Life and death, therefore, choose life. The big key is, it's not, I'm just going to turn this over to God, and God's just going to do it all. Uh, that is not biblical. There's no doubt about it, and we'll talk about this, that we have a responsibility before God uh, to do things, and we absolutely need to depend upon Him. But the two of them absolutely work together. And uh, Colossians, I mean, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The whole idea and the way that God deals with us is first and foremost through the mind. You'll find that the whole way through Scripture. We don't have time to go into all of that this morning. This is just the first Sermon. But maybe you've heard this definition of insanity. By the way, most people don't deal with people with insanity. But people that act insane, yes. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again with the idea that it will have a different result. I have seen that over the past 30-some years as I've been in ministry. is People can't understand why their life is messed up, why things don't work, but they keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, hoping that a different outcome will come. Point is, change is always needed, and a change of mind is where it starts, and that's you or whoever else you're helping. And when you have a change of mind, the Bible calls that Repentance. Doesn't necessarily mean repentance from sin, but it's repentance from doing anything that doesn't have a good result or wrong thinking or whatever it happens to be. It's a change of mind. And so you'll see that. And every time that there is a change, it requires, or every time there's growth, it requires a change. I've said that to somebody in the past and they go, no, Christians shouldn't change. We're steadfast, and movable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. Uh, last week's sermon? Yeah, that's true. Except that if you're going to grow, you must change your thinking, your emotions, your maturity, the, your actions, your words. All of those things need to change. Otherwise, you never will go in the right direction. And as I already mentioned, all of these principles apply to all of our lives. I've entitled it, God's Answers for Life's Problems. The verse be, verse is before you, and I'm I'm going to point out a few things, and then I'll come back to them uh, eventually. Notice how it starts. By the way, this is not a verse about here's how you become a counselor, but it is a key verse in that direction. The other key verses are Second Timothy chapter two, verses twenty four to twenty six, where it talks about the Lord's bond servant. Uh, this is how we deal with people. The end result is going to be di- discipleship. The end result is exhorting them, taking them from where they are and step by step, helping them uh, in the right direction. We proclaim him. That's Jesus Christ. He is the focus of all ministry. I don't care what ministry it is. If, it is not the, if he is not the focus, if it was Mission Impossible Friday night, or it's the tractor pole on Saturday, or it's the Sunday school t- class you taught this morning, or the youth group you're going to teach Wednesday night, if Christ is not the focus and you're not proclaiming Christ, it's not Christian ministry, and if you're counseling someone and Christ is not the focus, it's not Christian counseling. And it says there, we admonish every man. Admonish has to do with being placed into the mind. That's literally what it means. The word transliterated into English is the word neuthetic, which is the kind of counseling that if you hear me talking, you don't need to know the word, but that's where it comes from. It comes from this word. It means to place into the mind. See, most of the time, if somebody comes to you with a problem, We take it personal, we make it emotional, and when you do that, you know what the end result is? It's called drama, and it's all over the place. It's emotional, you flop all over, and it's like your friend comes to you with a problem and, well, that's my friend, I have to take their side because they're my friend. You're not a counselor and you're not doing them much good. You take the side of Jesus Christ and you put into the mind God's truth. This is the standard. Teaching is the second part of it. Uh, Admonish has to do with there is a problem. Teaching says they just need information. Both of them, as you noticed, are put together with an and. And then it says, with all wisdom, it is not simply listening and it's not simply quoting a bunch of scriptures to them. If you do that, they'll go, oh, that person knows a lot of scripture or they're a good listener. But it's with all wisdom, now you know what wisdom is, right? It is taking the truth, the reality, and putting it into practice if you 're going to counsel somebody it 's always practical, and it always and believe me, counseling is not for the faint of heart i 'll show you that at the end of these verses is it is not for the faint of heart because you are messing in the middle of somebody 's life you 're messing with how they're uh, dealing with emotions. You're interacting with how they're thinking, their thinking process. You might have to say, you're thinking wrong. Your emotions are all out of whack. Your actions don't match what you know to be true from the Bible. Oh yeah, you will get blasted. I guarantee you, if you take these principles... When you're trying to help other people, you will have Satan as your adversary. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. One of the things that I do is many times when I uh, counsel women, I have another lady come alongside of me and work with them. I can almost always tell you that within a very short time, they will be coming back to me and saying, Paul, I can't handle this. Why? Because they take the other person's problems on themselves, they get emotionally wrapped up in it, and after a while, they're a mess too. So I counsel the counselor so they can turn around and counsel the other person. And it's uh, twofold there. And, And then it says that, and this is the end result of all ministry, including counseling, that we may present every man complete in Christ. You see, the end of counseling, if it's Christian counseling, is not simply better information or a better thought pattern. It's not a fixing a problem or getting rid of an addiction or uh, fixing a marriage that adultery or just neglect has taken place. That's fixing a problem. That's like training rats or training a dog. No, the end result of all Christian ministry is presenting that person perfect or complete or mature in Christ. That's the end result. So simply fixing a problem. It is not, and counseling many times, includes evangelism. But it's not simply the person got saved. That's a good start. It's a great start. It's not simply fixing the problem, as I already said, but it's that that person is now a stronger, more mature Christian. That's the end result of discipleship. When I look at counseling, I I have a hard time distinguishing between discipleship and counseling because the end result is always a mature, reproducing, loyal, faithful, and loving person. The end result is what we look at. Secular counseling doesn't go that direction. Now look at the last part. If you think this is for faint of heart, you haven't read the last part of this. For this purpose, I also labor. Literally, that word means I become weary, tired because of what I'm doing. When you minister to people, I don't care what it is, it takes something out of you. Guaranteed. When you minister, and especially when you are ministering in a very personal way, which counseling always lines up being, you are going to get wore out. But it doesn't stop there. It says, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. The word striving, transliterated into English again, is the word agonize. It will take you to your edge. Not for the faint of heart. You, if you're going to help people on a personal basis, and you're going to help them to think things through and make right decisions with all wisdom, with God's power, and that's the end part. If you think you can do this on your own, forget it. You are sadly, sadly mistaken. The fact is, you'll probably get taken down by the problem. But it's according to His power which works within us. If you are not praying, in fact, when I counsel people, um, any of you that have ever been in my office, I can tell you this. I pray, Lord, give us wisdom. Show us what to say. Show us Direction. Because I have no idea where that session's going to go. I have no idea where that phone call is going to land up. I need God's wisdom as much as the person who I'm counseling. That's the way it is. So notice it's work, it requires God's power. The end result is not just a fixed problem or somebody got saved. Uh, those are all good things, but the end result is they're a mature Christian. And it starts with the mind not with the emotions. It's, when, when it comes to secular counseling, um, I've been around secular counseling many, many times for all kinds of reasons. One of the most dramatic is I went to an a alcohol rehab center to visit somebody uh, that had been coming to Garden Chapel. They're now deceased, uh, but they had become an alcoholic, and so they checked themselves in. And when I went to visit The lady that was the counselor or whatever she was um, said, well, you can go visit her, but I don't want you telling her any of these things like you, you need to trust Jesus and God will help you deal with it. She literally told me that. Now, you have to understand, I didn't want to lie to the lady. So I didn't respond at all. I didn't say, no, I won't. Or yes, I will. I just didn't respond at all. So I got the information because I knew exactly what I was going to do when the opportunity presented itself and the lady was a Christian. But I knew that I'm going to say, you got to depend on God. But secular counseling does not do that. And one of the other things that you see in this is you'll notice that it's not, there's only two kinds of counseling, directive and non-directive. Technical words, not big words. Non-directive means... If somebody is talking to you and they say, well, I'm having a problem with my husband or my wife or my kids, uh, you just say, well, what do you want to do? And I'll help you do it. Now, it doesn't usually come out that blatant, but I've been around enough and people have said, well, I'll I'll ask them, have you ever been to counseling? Yeah. Well, what what did they do? Well, they asked me what I wanted to do and said they would help me. The fact is, and this is sad, but those who have the word Christian in front of counselor have done exactly the same things. I know people that have gone to Christian counseling, actually pastors, who in one session, they were having marriage problems. In one session, the the counselor pastor said, do you want the name of a lawyer? Instead of, are you going to deal with the issues? Are you going to change your thinking, your attitude, your responses, your reactions, and all those kinds of things? That is sad. It's, it's truly sad because it's totally axing God uh, to a, a large extent out of, the, out of the problem, even though it's considered Christian counseling. I've seen it over and over again. One of the things that uh, counseling, regular counseling doesn't do, it doesn't put God in the picture at all. It is directive. You see, we have directives. Now, it does not, the Bible does not speak to every circumstance. That's why you need all wisdom. That's why you need according to the power that works within you. Because that is taking truth, principles, and putting them into a practical outcome. And that's what it takes. Truth is, I absolutely know that every time I go into a counseling session, it's over my head. And and that is not false humility. That's the truth. I know it's going to be more than I can handle. And it's tough at times. Because then it's like, okay, Lord, I don't know what to say here. And God absolutely comes through every time. But he has given us a standard and so we can be directive. Now, one thing I want to make clear. Christian counseling is not simply telling somebody what to do, giving orders. If you're a parent, you have the right and you have the responsibility to give orders. Okay? Because you don't, do, you don't act this way. You don't say that in this household. If you're a boss or a manager, you have the right to give orders because, hey, that's not the way this company operates and that's not your job. This is the way we do it. You have the right to do that. That's not counseling. That's a job or that's being a parent. But counseling doesn't simply tell the person, just go do this. I guarantee you. I've seen, I've heard secular counselors who have given advice like that. And I listened to it. I'm like, yeah, that's actually really good principles. And then I thought about it for a few minutes and said, and about two days from now when they fall flat on their face because it was good advice, but without God's help, without God's power, they'll never be able to carry this out. And they're going to be more depressed than when they started. And that's the truth. So just simply giving orders, somebody tells you, say, well, get your act together. You know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You grew up Pennsylvania Dutch. So that's how you were taught. You know, it's like, hey, you just, you just do it. You know, you just stick in there and do it. Well, the thing is, that's not, that's not Christian counseling. It focuses on the truth and the reality or the root problem. I read a, I have a, In my library, I have a book that's called Abnormal Psychology. It's a totally secular textbook. I've read most of it. And I have a story that goes with that because I had one... Uh, Pastor Bob Minyard was my counseling teacher at Lancaster Bible College. And he said when he was at a secular college, he was taking one of these psychology courses. And he said after it was done, they had books and they would discuss all these abnormal things that would go on in people's lives... He said, the more I read and the more I listened, he says, man, that's me. Every one of these abnormal life style, uh, patterns and thinking and all that, that's me. So he said, I waited till after class one day till everybody else left. And I walked up to the professor and I said, professor, the stuff we're talking about, that's me. All the professor said to him is, I was wondering when you would come Every other student in the class has already come to me. You see, we have a sin nature. And that sin nature is absolutely fighting against the nature of God, the new nature. It's fighting against what we know for biblical truth. And it's also fighting. Satan is using those things. Remember that verse I quoted earlier. Satan, deceive your minds by his craftiness. Satan will put the wrong thoughts in there, so you make wrong actions. That's where repentance comes in. It's like, that's the way you used to think, but I don't think that way anymore. End result is that we deal with truth. We deal with reality. We don't deal with hope or fantasy. We deal with the Bible truth, and we deal with the reality. You don't minimize sin. You don't minimize anything that's wrong or incorrect. You don't minimize any of those things. You call it what it is. You call sin, sin. You call a problem a real problem. You go, oh, poor you. You do that, you can't help anybody. Because you now get sucked into it. But continuing on. It primarily, I've already said this, deals with the mind, the reality. And it's the choice to think you're thinking. When you do that, it begins to to change everything. Everything in your life, including your emotions. One of the things that I have heard over and over again in the past 30 years is, well, I can't control my emotions. That's just, uh, that's just what my emotions are. And I totally disagree with that. I know that from scripture and I know that from practical. Because when you change the way you react to somebody, something or the way you think about something, you, you think of the most horrible thing in your life somebody did you really wrong. Well, I can't change that. I, I, I don't like that person. I even hate that person. There are people that come to this church, I know because they've told me they won't forgive somebody. And I can tell you, I told them straight to their face, you're going to be a miserable person. Because if you don't forgive, we'll, talk, we'll spend a whole sermon on forgiveness. But if you don't forgive, you need to change your mind first about You know, has Christ forgiven me, the the songs we were singing, what we're going to celebrate? If Christ has forgiven me, then I have no good excuse for not forgiving someone else who's wronged me and did me in really bad. I need to forgive. If I don't uh, change my thinking about that, I am going to be controlled by the negative circumstances of the past. But when I change my thinking, it will change the way I act, react, the way I my emotions will absolutely change. Emotions are not bad. Don't ever think emotions are bad. We'll talk about that the whole sermon itself also. But emotions aren't bad. But emotions are like a thermometer. Now, I've been a pastor at Garden Chapel for 31 years, and we have never gotten the temperature right for everybody ever. Okay? The thermometer says this. It's never right. But here's what we can do. We can go downstairs in the room below over here, and there is a thermostat. We can change the setting on the thermostat. What your mind does is the thermostat. Your emotions are the thermometer. My wife's not here, so I can use this. My wife will say, It was hot this morning. The next next week she'll say, It was cold, it was freezing in church. I'm like, Faye, nobody has touched the thermostat, but all depends how you dress, all depends if you're anxious or whatever, you, your body metabolism and everything changes. It, it changes. It's more humid or not human. You know, all of those things. But we don't get caught up in simply dealing with emotions. Nothing wrong with dealing with them, but emotions can change. And we need to make sure that we start with the thinking process. That's how we make the choices. That's how the change comes. Remember, we want change, but the ultimate change is maturity in Christ. It also asks a lot of questions and listens. Proverbs is very clear. He who gives an answer before he listens is a fool. Fool. In counseling, that's double. Because if you don't listen to what the person is telling you, you don't even know where to start in helping them. So you need to listen and ask a bunch of questions. That's why I said just giving orders doesn't work. That's the next one. It just doesn't work because you may be giving orders and giving information uh, and direction that doesn't have anything to do with the person's where they're at. And so you need to start where they're at by listening to them. Lots of times I listen to people for an hour and a half, two hours before I say much of anything other than ask them questions. You know what? Because they need to find out who they are and what they're, what they're doing. Uh, it advises, encourages, and challenges the, the people to do the right thing. I cannot make somebody do anything. I tell people when they call me or they show up my office, I'm going to tell you right up front, I can't solve your problem. I can give you information, that's teaching, admonish. I can encourage and I can challenge you. Occasionally, I beseech people. It's like, you need to do this. But you know what? I got to stop at that part because guess what? In fact, I don't even ask people to make a decision in my office. You know why? Because I have a tag in front of my name that says, Pastor. And they can feel intimidated by that. It's like, well, if the pastor told me to do this, maybe I ought to. And they walk out, and they never did anything anyway because they just did what they thought I wanted them to do. I never want that at all. That's not real change. That doesn't help anybody. But, so I don't threaten people. I don't manipulate people. I don't pressure people. You know what? The pressure, no problem. God, the Holy Spirit, has no problem taking your conscience and squeezing it. We say, stand you know, stomping on your toes, right? You know, when you've done something wrong, the Holy Spirit goes and starts your, you ever notice you, you get a little bit of pain in your heart, a little bit of shortness of breath and you go, "Who? I better probably deal with that. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not my job, not your job. The end result of all of this, and I'm going to bring this to a close because we are going to come to the Lord's Supper but the end result is we want people, no matter what it is. If you're standing in the pulpit, if you're talking to your friend at work, you're talking to your, your, your spouse, it doesn't matter. The end result of what we need to do is bring them closer to Christ. Bring them closer to maturity. And guess what? All of this is based on one thing that we looked at in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's the resurrection. Without the power of the resurrection, without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no message that's different than the world's. The difference is that we have God who is working, and we're working with Him, and it's His power, and it's His standard. As the men gather... Uh, for communion this morning, just a few words uh, for us. And that is, this is the Lord's Supper. Not the Supper of Garden Chapel. Um, It's nothing personal and private. It is the Lord's Supper. It is reminding us. It's it's the God-given object lesson. The matzah and the grape juice. His body and His blood. A reminder of the great price that was paid for us. And it's also, this time, is a reminder for us to examine our lives. To make sure that we are living in the light of the work that he's done in our lives. He says that if we eat and drink in an unworthy manner, and that is we're treating this just like, Oh yeah, I'm going through the motions. He says, there's judgment. If we do this with sin in our lives... We're not right with God or right with somebody else. We eat and drink judgment to ourselves. Nobody is going to judge you. You need to decide before the Lord if you're going to partake or not. I I feel privileged that every time we do this, I I wish it wasn't this way, but I feel privileged that there are people that take that so seriously that almost every time there are people who say, no, not today. I hope that's just a good reminder that you need to go home and get something straightened out. Because that's examining your life. I'm going to ask uh, Will if he would thank the Lord for the body that he gave for us, for our salvation. Lord, you humbled yourself and came to earth. Even just taking on humanity was a ridiculous um, action of humility. Uh, But Lord, you didn't stop there. You um, suffered for us. You were whipped and beaten and mocked and scorned.